Does manual treasury management and operations have your crypto business stuck in the slow lane? Scale up and speed ahead with Fireblocks, the number one platform for crypto operations and trading pros that makes custody, settlement, and rebalancing quick and easy. Visit fireblocks.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Coinbase Prime, an integrated solution that provides institutional investors with an advanced trading platform, secure custody, and prime services to manage all of their crypto assets in one place. Futuristic companies like Tesla and MicroStrategy have used Coinbase's comprehensive investing platform to execute some of the largest trades in the industry. Learn more by visiting coinbase.com prime to get started today. I'd also like to give a shout out to Cross River. Whether you're a crypto exchange, NFT marketplace, or wallet, Cross River's integrated API-based platform provides the payment solutions you need to grow. A CryptoFin industry award winner and an early partner for companies like Coinbase, Cross River's tech stack supports crypto partners and enables real-time money movement for consumers. Welcome to a new world of crypto-friendly banking at crossriver.com crypto. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and not necessarily those of the blocks. Podcast guests may have taken positions in the assets or other matters discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For full terms, visit theblockcrypto.com slash terms dash service. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at The Block. Joining us today on the other side of the mic is my guest, Mark Palmer, Managing Director, Senior Equity Research Analyst at BTIG. Mark, you have a long-running Wall Street pedigree, and you are at Bank of America and BlackRock, AIG, and BNY Capital Markets. For the past 12 years, you've been heading up the research side at BTIG, where you specialize and focus on fintech and digital assets. And recently, you went on CNBC to say that the poster child, in a sense, of digital assets, Coinbase, is misunderstood. Mm -hmm. And we definitely have that sense here at, I mean, everyone has this sense, Mark, right? You look at the chart, you look at the market cap, and you look at the billion dollar plus in quarterly revenue. And you have to think that there is some sort of misalignment between this company and the way it's messaging itself to investors and the sentiment of those investors. It's pretty wild. We believe that the story is misunderstood in large extent because it's incomplete. It takes a little bit of imagination, a little bit of extrapolation from where Coinbase is now to where it's heading. And what that means is that those who want to focus on things like the company's take rate and you know the potential for the take rate to decline because competition is coming into the space and as a consequence, the company's margins are going to go to zero. It's going to be another Charles Schwab type of situation as we see in the traditional equity brokerage market and Coinbase is doomed. That is incredibly short-sighted. Because what Coinbase is building is a comprehensive platform play. Trading is one part of that. But 
even Brian Armstrong, the company's CEO, acknowledges the take rate on the retail side is going to decline over time. It's just not going to happen overnight. Yeah. If you look at the most recent quarter, it actually expanded for the second straight quarter. So when we say take rate for people who are maybe Philistines and not familiar with the verbiage of, of the street, we're talking about the sort of fee that they can extract in aggregate across all of the trades. That's correct. It's, it's transaction margin is another way to put it. And that's true for both the retail side and also for Coinbase Pro, you know, where you see more advanced traders and institutions. A lot of the back and forth that we've seen is really about mix because they have a tiered pricing structure at Coinbase Pro. You know, that tends to change that mix. It changes the optics with regard to the take rate. And so you see some of my peers on the street grab onto that and, you know, paint a pretty dim picture of Coinbase's future, which, as I said, is is really incomplete. And do you think it's incomplete because there are new business opportunities that lie on the horizon or it's incomplete because you don't necessarily think that take rate is going to come down as quickly as maybe other folks who are covering the stock do? Well, we believe that the take rate is going to be coming down sure. over time. If you look at our model for Coinbase, it shows precisely that. What it also shows, though, is other businesses that are going to begin to have a much greater impact over time, not least of which is the company's institutional prime brokerage platform. You know, mm-hmm. which encompasses everything from over-the-counter trading to custody to a wide range of analytics uh, that are very helpful to institutional traders and ultimately derivatives, uh, which is going to be added and which we think could have a, a significant impact. One of the areas that we think is completely overlooked, not only with Coinbase, but other names, Galaxy Digital and others, especially when Galaxy Digital completes its acquisition of the BitGo platform uh, is staking. And we believe that, especially if it is to be believed, we heard uh, Justin Drake, who's uh, an Ethereum Foundation researcher down at the Permissionless Conference saying that uh, the Ethereum merge could be occurring as soon as August. We believe that could be a huge catalyst uh, for staking, letting institutions, retail investors know that staking is a great way to earn incremental yield on otherwise idle cryptocurrency. If I look at what some of your colleagues on the street responded to the quarter or the most recent quarterly results, it's just brutal, right? Uh, Goldman, JP Morgan both slashed their respective targets to 171 and 80. Goldman noted, Will Nance at Goldman Sachs said that in the current macro backdrop, we believe coin is unlikely to return to recent levels of profitability in the near term absent a significant increase in crypto prices or volatility. Do you agree? Well, there's the near term and then there's the near term. You know, obviously we're in a very challenging environment for cryptocurrency firms in general right now. This is showing up in the numbers in the case of Coinbase, you know, one of the figures that we look at is monthly transacting users when you see the market uh, at a depressed level with less volatility in particular, you, know, you tend to see the monthly transacting users decline, and that translates typically into lower revenue. So they have lower numbers as a consequence. This is no surprise. At the same time, 
you know, we are looking longer term with regard to Coinbase's prospects, building out its entire platform. We mentioned staking. The NFT marketplace, which has almost been left for dead at this point, they launched in the middle of an incredibly volatile time. It was not ideal timing. But to basically say, well, the NFT marketplace isn't going to live up to expectations at this point, again, is incredibly short-sighted. You know, what we're looking at is where is this market going to be going over time, both on the retail side and the institutional side? On the institutional side in particular, you know, Coinbase is really just scratching the surface. I mean, the numbers that you see with regard to trading volumes on the institutional side might lead you to think differently. But again, that's over-the-counter trading. You know, typically speaking, you know, they're picking up five basis points, which is virtually yeah. nothing on some pretty big volumes. So it shows up as a, a good number, but it's not the driver of the story at this point. We really haven't seen the kind of wholesale institutional adoption of crypto that we think is going to be driving this story. But what's important is that Coinbase is putting all of the pieces together. So when that institutional adoption does occur, you know, they're going to be perceived as you know, a leader in that regard. Now, one of the things we haven't talked about, mm-hmm. and that obviously spooked a lot of folks, was the addition of a new risk factor in the company's 10Q that accompanied the most recent quarter. This really scared people. It did. And it, it frankly made it easy for Coinbase detractors to run with this. What did it say? It basically said that if Coinbase were to be forced to go into bankruptcy, that the tokens on the platform would not necessarily be safe and that customers could become unsecured creditors in a bankruptcy. My God, that's incredibly scary to a lot of folks. However, we do not think Coinbase is anywhere near bankruptcy. We Obviously, we saw Brian Armstrong come out. I think it was about 1130 at night that evening and say, we're not uh, going bankrupt. Frankly, anytime a company has to come out and say, we're not going bankrupt, it's not a good situation. Raises a few eyebrows. It does. I mean, our job is just look to look at the facts. You know, take the yeah. emotion out of the equation, look at the facts. The fact is, this is a company that has something like six and a half billion dollars of liquidity and has said that in a very challenged scenario, it could have negative adjusted EBITDA, which is effectively a proxy for cash flow, negative cash flow for 2022 in the neighborhood of 500 million. Mm. Negative 500 million versus six and a half billion. So this company has a long runway. Mm -hmm. There are no triggers out there that are going to cause this uh, to collapse. There's no hidden Lehman Brothers type of exposures. So walk me through, why do you think the management team, the IR team decided to add this disclosure to the earnings? What could have been the catalyst behind that decision? Well, what we heard from the company, what we heard from Brian Armstrong was that the SEC is now demanding that crypto companies add this language to their financial filings. So this was a required disclosure. It was just unfortunately timed and was not uh, offered up with any real context. Understood. So it was kind of like they were forced to add this language to an extent. Effectively. That's exactly right. That's basically what, what Coinbase is saying. And, and I believe that the facts bear that out. Again, we struggle 
mightily to come up with some sort of scenario in which Coinbase would be insolvent. And just given what we see on its balance sheet versus the cash burn, that just doesn't add up. Yeah, I'd be pretty surprised if some of the companies that are working with Coinbase to hold their coins would trust them to do that unless there was a strong balance sheet there. You know, I think you have Tesla, you have Dan Loeb's fund as just a few examples. Let's talk about one number that I thought was especially brutal, which was adjusted EBITDA, which went from $1.2 billion in Q4 to $20 million in Q1. Expenses is a huge, almost like, you know, villainous force in this Coinbase story. And you're seeing it play out with a hiring freeze. It seems like they're slowing down hiring because expenses have kind of gotten a bit out of control. But to tell their side of the story, the other side of the coin would probably be we needed to right size for where the market went, mm-hmm. you know, let's say beginning of year or rather, excuse me, mid-year last year to Q4 last year. Uh, so they really had to ramp up expenses to sort of meet that demand. But, well, I want to get your thoughts on that. But the question would be, do you think maybe they ramped up the expenses too much? And it's not necessarily just a right sizing, but they went maybe above and beyond. Maybe the Super Bowl ad to pick on them for one small thing could have been what was superfluous. Frankly, um, I think that the focus on adjusted EBITDA is somewhat misguided, simply because if you look at Coinbase now, yes, this is a large company. Yes, it has something in the neighborhood of 11% of all of the crypto in the world among its assets. But this company is really a work in progress. And it really hasn't reached the audience that it ultimately could. And so what you really want to see, if you are an investor in a company that's at this stage, a growth company that is in a competitive environment and trying to not only build a platform, but also bring on as many customers as it can, take advantage of adoption of crypto, you want to see investment. You want to see that spending. And you want to see it in terms of developing the platform, building out functionality along the lines of the NFT marketplace, along the lines of derivatives for institutional investors. And you absolutely want to see marketing spend so you can keep up with the likes of FTX and crypto.com and the long, long list there. So from our perspective, this is not the time to be focusing on adjusted EBITDA. And as the company has said themselves, you know, if they wanted to simply flip the switch and turn off all of that investment, you know, they could have great adjusted EBITDA numbers, but the market isn't looking for adjusted EBITDA and profitability at this point. What it really is looking at is, you know, more of the top line. Now, with that said, what we are seeing in this current part of uh, the market cycle is an increased focus among investors on profitability. Mm -hmm. Because what are we focused on here? Survivability. It's can you preserve your option for the future when things are better? So you see uh, some of the companies that we cover, Voyager Digital, which reported recently, you know, came out and said, you know, they are going to be cutting expenses pretty significantly, even while they continue to spend on marketing, just do that in a more efficient manner. 
But they are focused on getting to operating profitability in the first part of 2023. In the case of Coinbase, they have much more in the way of resources than a Voyager Digital. Mm-hmm. Now, Voyager actually went out recently. They had to raise, or they did raise equity. Yeah, It was, in our view, prudent. They were providing themselves with more cushion and a longer runway. Coinbase has, because they went out and they tapped the market last year and they issued debt, which at the time, everybody was saying, why are they doing this? Why do they need this capital? Well, in retrospect, it's a good thing they did. And it certainly looks wise and prudent now. Because now there's really no question about Coinbase's runway. We think the biggest challenge that Coinbase has at this point is bringing back some of those folks who might have been shaken up because if they went on Twitter, they would read all about this new risk factor that was added to their 10Q about how folks might not be able to get their tokens off the platform. Yeah, that definitely is a black eye. It's pretty interesting. Do you think in this environment, and I want to talk about competition, but first, do you think in a winter or just this macro environment that we found ourselves in where anything growth is getting hammered, but especially crypto, I mean, you mentioned Voyager Digital, it's down 82% year to date. I mean, it's just, your heart has to go out to, to Steve to a degree. I mean, it's just brutal. I'm sure a lot of the executives, they're not looking at the charts every day like we are, but do you think that it was smart for these firms to go public? Do you think that a firm like FTX maybe has a competitive advantage now that they're private, a firm like crypto.com, which you also mentioned? How do you think about that sort of dynamic between what the public companies can do versus the private ones, when we think about the benefits of, a, of being a public company, you have that, you know, currency of acquisition, which is what they called it when I, you know, when I covered the exchanges and the IPO market, you also have, you know, there's an incentive there for employees, but when the stock's down 80 some odd percent, mm-hmm. do some of those benefits uh, dissipate? Well, I think Voyager Digital's recent private placement in which they raised 60 million to add to their liquidity was really exhibit A in terms of why it was a good thing that Voyager was public. You know, there are about 600 cryptocurrency platforms globally that are out trading all variety of of tokens. Most of them are private. And Mm -hmm. I would suggest that given the state of funding for private companies right now, where we're seeing a lot of venture capital funding that might have been readily available not too long ago, no longer available. I would suggest that an awful lot of those private crypto trading platforms would easily switch places with Voyager in that regard. They would love to be able to have the ability to reach out to some of the most prominent investors in the crypto space and raise an incremental 60 million, getting the halo effect from those names investing in them. And at the same time, you know, being able to point to a much longer runway because of the incremental liquidity. So I, I think there's definitely an advantage uh, to having a public stock simply because you can raise capital in the way that Voyager did. To play devil's advocate to my own question, so to play devil's advocate with myself, my own mind, 
another benefit, I mean, it's not often talked about among crypto people, but I don't think Coinbase could have some of the institutional clients it has if it was not a public company. I don't disagree. I'll put it this way. You're an institution and you're getting into the crypto space and you have been charged with finding an institutional prime brokerage that can work with you as you ramp up your own crypto effort. Who are you going to choose? You know, the main thing that someone in, in that situation is likely to be thinking about is career risk. In other words, if you choose wrong and you find a platform that winds up having inadequate security, it gets hacked, it has operational issues, that's on you in terms of your choice. Going to Coinbase has been perceived as the safe choice. You're not going to have career risk by going to Coinbase. There aren't many names in the space where you could say that. And so I think that by being public, by being uh, as visible as they are, even by having the Super Bowl ad that you mentioned, you know, it's uh, a name that easily passes muster for those who are making a decision about what represents a safe platform. And this is, again, I'm coming back to that risk factor in the 10Q. This is why that was as damaging as it was. From what we can tell, at least, you know, because you can monitor the assets on Coinbase's platforms in a variety of ways, it has not been as damaging as it could have been. And it seems actually- There like, was no noticeable exodus of, of funds. Exactly right. But at the same time, if I'm in Coinbase's shoes, I'm doing everything I can from a marketing, from an advertising perspective to underscore the point that Coinbase has a fortress balance sheet. It's not going anywhere. It is the safe option. And of course, it's never been hacked. Having trouble keeping pace with the crypto boom? When your business is scaling up and your portfolio is growing, you don't want to waste precious time on manual treasury management or settling and rebalancing. Fireblocks can handle that for you with smart, scalable solutions for your crypto business, along with industry-leading security and expertise. They'll take care of the back end so you can focus on the big picture. Visit fireblocks.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Coinbase Prime, an integrated solution that provides institutional investors with an advanced trading platform, secure custody, and prime services to manage all their crypto assets in one place. Coinbase Prime fully integrates crypto trading and custody on a single platform and gives clients the best all-in pricing in their network using their proprietary smart order router and algorithmic execution. Futuristic companies like Tesla and MicroStrategy have already used Coinbase's comprehensive investing platform to execute some of the largest trades in the industry. Build a unified investment portfolio with one of the most trusted names in crypto. Learn more by visiting coinbase.com prime to get started today. This episode is brought to you by Cross River. Building the next big thing in crypto? Then it's time to get your fiat on and off ramp solution from Cross River. Whether you're a crypto exchange, NFT marketplace, or wallet, Cross River's integrated API based platform provides the payment solutions you need to grow. Cross River is powering the future of financial services. A CryptoFin industry award winner and an early partner for companies like Coinbase, Cross River's tech stack supports crypto 
partners and enables real-time money movement for consumers. Welcome to a new world of crypto-friendly banking. Request your fiat on and off-ramp solution now at crossriver.com slash crypto. How much anxiety does the Luna meltdown add to public market investors when it comes to crypto? I don't... uh, I don't remember, because I can't really remember a world before the Luna meltdown at this point. If it happened, I think it happened after earnings, which was April, 98% sure. But does that introduce a new risk factor for crypto firms? Well, I think, I'll put it this way. If you go back to last Tuesday, you know, which is really when uh, Luna was melting down. Last Tuesday. Yes. Feels yeah, like. Yeah, I know. It seems like it was a long, like years much longer, ago. right? <laughs> you go back to that date and. I don't want to go back, Mark. <laughs> um, you know, and, and go on to the mainstream media. I was not hearing any distinction being made between fully backed stable coins, you know, the likes of USDC and, and Paxos as stable coins and algorithmic stable coins. When frankly, that's an enormous distinction. And, and one that really needed to be made. You know, I think that the fact that that occurred, you know, is, is obviously something that for the layman who just hears about Luna and, oh, by the way, there's a token and it lost 99% of its value. That's pretty scary. You know, it's, it's the absolute flip side of what we had been hearing before about, you know, where you have the, um, the FOMO, fear of missing out action that we saw for quite some time. I can't believe that I didn't jump jump into Luna because it's up as much as it is. You know, so I think what we are seeing right now is just part of a larger story with regard to two factors that have been really determinative with regard to the crypto market for as long as we've been looking at it, which is sentiment and narrative. You know, this is a space that's not driven by fundamentals the way that equities or fixed income instruments or or other fundamental securities are. This is a space where we really see sentiment and narrative driving the day. Now, at the end of the day, you can make a lot of money, I believe, if you're able to analyze these tokens, understand what's beneath them. And I think that there's the, the as the industry matures, we're going to see more of that sort of analysis applied, which is a very good thing for all involved. But, you know, right now, There are firms out there that are doing quite well simply by monitoring the sentiment around various tokens on Twitter and other social media, TikTok. And there are investors out there who are trading accordingly, you know, seeing kind of where things are changing with regard to sentiment, shifting from one sector to another. If the metaverse is hot right now, but it's cooling down and, um, you know, you see DeFi becoming hotter you know, they're shifting into DeFi. So I think that there's a strong element of that. If anything, I think that if there is a better understanding of what stablecoins are and the differences between them as a consequence of the Luna episode, that would be the positive takeaway. You have to feel a bit bad for Coinbase, the stock, not the company, or the people holding the stock, because I feel like a lot of them caught a bid whenever crypto was really bullish. Coinbase had a little bit of that, like when it went back up and tried to, you know, retest the 300 around that level. But even when sometimes like, 
you know, crypto's rallying, Coinbase is still kind of stuck in the doldrums. It's almost like, you know, how a hedge fund, they don't capture all of the upside, but they try not to capture the downside. Coinbase is like the antithesis, right? As an investment, it, it captures most of the downside and doesn't always capture that upside when, when you juxtapose it with the market. Did, do you notice that phenomenon? And do you think that's going to just be the, the story for them moving forward? What's going to let them like, what type of catalyst do you see where Coinbase will kind of live on its own, where if it has good news, even if the market's kind of doing something, it will rally. And if it has bad news, even if the market's doing something, it will it will draw down. Well, we believe that Coinbase ultimately will be able to put forward a, a more comprehensive story. And that's when we believe the stock will work simply because um, backing up, when, when this company came public through a direct listing in April of last year, it really was not a fully fleshed out Coinbase as we believe it was envisioned. Now, what does that mean? It means that the institutional side of things really hadn't come together yet. And as a consequence, the numbers that the company was reporting were really all about retail investors and trading volumes. If that's all the story is, then I would agree with those who are saying there's not much here with regard to Coinbase, but it's not. And I think what Coinbase needs to be viewed as is a platform play. The fact that they are launching uh, an NFT marketplace, they're bringing derivatives to institutional investors, staking it. And again, this is through, there were folks who I know when Coinbase uh, had its direct listing, had no idea what Bison Trails is. And hmm. Bison Trails is really key because it not only provides access to staking, it also provides access to blockchain infrastructure development, which is basically, as is often said, you know, the Amazon Web Services for Web3. You know, these are parts of this platform that did not get an awful lot of attention uh, when this company was coming public, but they're absolutely critical in terms of its future. And I would also suggest that if you look in Coinbase Ventures, which is the company's venture capital arm, you know, that's really uh, kind of the, the farm team, so to speak, uh, for Coinbase in terms of their future endeavors. You know, do we think that, for example, when Coinbase Ventures invested in OpenSea, that they did so, you know, for the upside associated with that investment? Of course they did. But did they also learn a tremendous amount about what it goes into building out an NFT marketplace? They certainly did. And lo and behold, we see Coinbase now with its own NFT marketplace. So Coinbase has developed itself over the last 10 years, largely via acquisition. And we have little doubt that they're going to continue to add new functionality, new capabilities on top of what they already have. And over time, this is going to become much, much less of a retail trading story and much, much more about a sort of crypto supermarket that's going to have an awful lot of different revenue drivers. So what's funny to me is the street your colleagues, you know, BTIG included, historically have bought into this. Like most of what you're saying, I think most of the analysts will jive with. I'm sure some maybe are a bit more wary of the take rate compression. Mm -hmm. But I mean, what's been funny to me is they don't, it's not like Coinbase has a messaging problem with, with their analysts. Because if you look at May 22nd, you had 78% of 
research analyst with a buy rating. Mm -hmm. And that's up from, if you look at like August, 2021, it was at 65%. And then May, 2021, it was at around 75%. So the street has historically been way more bullish than the investors or rather the research analysts have been way more bullish than the investors. So it's not like Coinbase is doing a bad job kind of, and I'm not trying to be cheeky here. It's, it's a genuine question, done a bad job communicating with you guys, but have you guys maybe not done a good enough job convincing your clients to buy in, in aggregate? Right. I think ultimately, yeah, the primary message needs to come from the company. And to a certain extent, I believe that Coinbase has been very conservative in the way that they have gone about the rollout of their platform. Yes, we hear about a lot of the metrics about users on the platform and, and things of that nature. A lot of that continue to come back to trading volume, which in a way was not all that helpful because, again, that lends itself to the vulnerability that could lead to take rate compression if we see more competition and that sort of thing. But the company has been extremely cautious about rolling anything out. You know, we, we got the sense early on that part of that was their strict adherence to regulatory guidance was causing them to be less aggressive than some others might have been. And we saw this across the entire platform, including you know, the addition of altcoins. They're now adding derivatives to their institutional platform. That's something that, frankly, they could have done quite some time ago. We do believe that it's likely that in the back of their minds, and if you go back and you read the S1 that preceded Coinbase's direct listing, you know there were mentions, for example, of uh, uh, folks in the space, Binance being the most prominent, they actually, that name popped up in the S1, mm. uh, that were being extremely aggressive. And I think the thinking was that those bad actors would be swept away in a regulatory tide and that Coinbase as the regulatorily compliant actor you know, would be better off as a consequence of that. We haven't seen that happen to the, to the extent that it ultimately could. Uh, what we do so know mean, is so that- So you mean, Mark, they're not no. being aggressive enough from a product standpoint or from a talking about what they're doing standpoint? Both. Both, Both frankly. That, um, you know, they've been, I believe, conservative in terms of messaging, and they've been conservative in terms of the pace at which they're rolling out various products. When- Frankly, they have the resources, they have the capabilities. You know, I think we've seen some adjustment along those lines, especially as the stock was not working as well. They were getting, I'm sure, a lot of feedback. We began to see more altcoins put up on the platform, for example. Mm. But you know, we do think that the potential of that platform is enormous and that it's truly untapped. You know, I think one of the um, lessons here may be that there is a balance to be had. In other words, yes, you can go out and be more aggressive in certain areas, which they, in our view, should be. But if they had not been prudent and had not, for example, gone out and tapped the debt markets last year, they mm -hmm. wouldn't have had the liquidity that they have right now. You know, So um, I may be picking on them a little bit with regard to being conservative in some areas. But at the end of the day, Coinbase with you know, six and a half billion in cash is going to survive. We can't say that for the other 600 or so crypto exchanges out there. And at some point, there's going to be an enormous opportunity uh, to benefit from consolidation within the space. Coinbase, we believe, is going to be one of those players. Now, 
that could simply be benefiting from less competition, or it could be picking up other platforms, you know, that aren't going to be able to make it on their own. Got it. And obviously, Coinbase Prime is a sponsor of this show, but I want to be clear that they had no involvement in the questions or the the answers that Mark has provided. I just want to be very clear and transparent about that. And as we always have at the beginning of the show, this is um, strictly for um, informational purposes only and shouldn't be thought of as um, any sort of inducement to purchase a, a specific security. Now, we're going to have to go back and speed that up maybe so I can... That'll be like five X as fast. <laughs> I could try to do it. I could, I'm not very good at speaking um, too fast. Anyway, let's, let's end on a lighter note. What may be bright spots you see in the market? What, you know, if someone, you know, were to ask you at a, a friend at a bar, you know, should I be getting into the crypto stock game? Is it, it seems hellish. What would you say? No, here are some bright spots maybe. Well, I think, uh, again, this is a space that is very much driven by sentiment and narrative, just like the crypto tokens themselves are. And you know what we have seen over the last few weeks are a number of different stories that, when grabbed onto by folks in social media, you know, have been blown way out of proportion. You know, example: Galaxy Digital at the end of 2021 had a, a horde of Luna tokens, which they did. Mm -hmm. And so all over social media, it's, is Galaxy Digital going to blow up because of the Luna tokens? Yeah. What's not mentioned there is the fact that they sold those Luna tokens at a very large gain during the mm -hmm. first quarter. And so they didn't have that exposure. But you wouldn't know that. You know, these are the sorts of things we try to lean on in terms of the, the facts that matter. We saw... Something similar with Coinbase, we just talked about it with regard to the, the risk factor. You know, we heard, oh, Coinbase is going bankruptcy, pull your coins now, without any mention of, you know, the, the company's cash hoard and, you know, its uh, burn rate, which are crucially important things to focus on. Another example, MicroStrategy, right? There was all this talk about this trigger. If the price of Bitcoin went to 21,000, there'd be a margin call and it'd be game over for Michael Saylor and MicroStrategy, <laughs> yeah. which was just flat false. You know, was there, is there a margin call provision in uh, 205 million of the company's 2.4 billion in debt? Yes. Now, if they were to approach that level, could they then take some of their 95,000 unencumbered Bitcoin and, and cure that? Yes, they could. Mm -hmm. You see any of this? In, you know, in, in what's being said, of course not. You know, so yeah. this is where, again, what we, we, the role that we have been playing, at least for the last few weeks, you know, is simply to lay out the facts so that people can gain some perspective. Getting back to your question, what that means is there is an awful lot of opportunity for those who are actually going to stick to the facts, look at the valuations of these companies, which are severely depressed. And if you believe, as we do, that the crypto market ultimately is going to bounce back and then some, you know, these are enormous opportunities. You know, if you look out at Web3 writ large, the projects that are being developed, the innovation that is occurring, it's still remarkable. It hasn't paused. Yeah. Now, as it pertains to funding and things of that nature, are we going to see some bumps in the road? We absolutely are. Is Does that mean that we're going to see consolidation, that we're going to see 
some folks drop the baton and someone else will have to pick it up and move forward? Yes, it will. But I think we all understood that that was going to be the way that this industry developed when we began looking at it. I have to ask one more question. It's something that Sam Bankman Freud brings up quite often around uh, Coinbase's earnings. And we dug into it, I think it was two earnings ago, where he basically said, how can there be a miss? How can there be a, a revenue miss if all you need to do is look at what the volumes are? How can, I think that quarter in particular, the Coinbase beat by like half a billion dollars. Mm -hmm. And his whole thing was, how can you miss that? Just look at the volume data is public and that's 90% of their volumes. So how, wh why is there this chasm? Well, there really shouldn't be. You know, yeah, frankly, what's the, what and, are you guys uh, like? What are what are some of your you know colleagues on the street like? The, the model shouldn't be that complicated. I guess right. would be the question or the. Well, I can't say with any certainty that everybody in the street takes a look at those numbers and looks at those volumes as they are setting their revenue numbers for a particular quarter or resetting them or what have you. You know, and and, and frankly. You know, I, I think there are a lot of folks who are covering some of the crypto exchanges and platforms that really aren't as focused on crypto. Maybe they're focused on exchanges writ large. Mm -hmm. And some of those distinctions and nuances, which are crucially important, get missed. So I think that, that that probably has something to do with it. I mean, over time, I think it'll actually get harder, which is a good thing from Coinbase's sure. perspective, was they have a more diversified model. It's going to be more challenging to you know, peg that revenue number simply because, you know, we won't know what's coming from the NFT marketplace. Maybe we can gauge that using some of the same instruments or staking or things of that nature. That'll be a high class problem. Yeah, that'll be a good problem to have for them. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining the show today and for stopping by. We'll have to have you on again, maybe, um, you know, after each earnings, we can bring you in and grill you on on the numbers. Anyway, once again, we were joined today by our guest, Mark Palmer, Managing Director, Senior Equity Research Analyst at BTIG. Thanks so much. Where can our listeners learn more about what you're working on? Maybe follow some of your reports or you know interviews and such. Where can they find some of that info? Well, they can follow me on Twitter. I'm at, um, at PalmerBTIG. You know, our research is for the most part, uh, aimed at our institutional clients. But we do um, provide some insights and that sort of thing on Twitter. And by all means, for those of you out there who are interested in being BTIG clients, don't hesitate to ping us. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, Frank. The Scoop will be back for you again with another great guest. Have an awesome day.